from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is John Small, and I am the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. And my guest today is Whitney Beatty, who is the co-founder of Josephine and Billy's, which is LA's first cannabis speakeasy. I think the world's first cannabis speakeasy, or at least the nation's first cannabis speakeasy, at least legal one in the legal world. And really, it is a first of its kind. I'm excited to talk to to Whitney about it. It's a modern day callback to the jazz age or the quote unquote tea pads in which black communities in the 1920s and the 30s listened to music, jazz and enjoyed cannabis during the prohibition era and beyond. In fact, Josephine and Billy gets its name from two icons of the jazz age, Josephine Baker and Billie Holiday. And the Josephine and Billy's brand and retail concept was the first investment of the parent company, which is a joint venture between Jay-Z, I've heard of him, Rock Nation, Kaliva, and Left Coast Ventures. It is a fund that supports social equity corporate ventures. Whitney, congratulations on this idea and winning this uh, fund. That's wonderful news. I'm really excited for you. Thank you so much. I am thrilled. I'm super excited to uh, finally be able to bring this vision to life. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to hear about the vision. Let's talk a little bit about you, your background. We first, I first became aware of you writing about your venture in 2018. You, You had a product called the Apothecary Box. But tell me about that and tell me a little bit about how you found cannabis and how you became an entrepreneur in the space. Absolutely. So yes, um, my first foray into cannabis was with Apothecary. And my me coming to cannabis has been absolutely uh, <laughs> not planned. My background is actually in the entertainment industry. I worked in entertainment for 17 years developing day park syndication and reality TV programming. And I didn't have a lot of experience with cannabis growing up. I didn't use it when high school. I didn't use it in college. Nancy Reagan told me to say no to drugs. I believed her. I didn't think she'd lie to me, but <laughs> wrong. Uh, but, but what ended up happening was I was working in the entertainment industry and putting in crazy hours, had a lot of stress. And I had an incident sitting at my desk where my heart started to palpitate. I was sweating profusely. I had chest pains. I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought I was dying. But the work was so important that I just got in my car and drove myself to the emergency room and left my car right where the ambulance is parked because, hey, I'm dying. Tell me away. I don't care. And I went in and told them, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dying. I'm having a heart attack. And they took me back and did the AKG. And they're like, uh, you're not having a heart attack, lady. You're having an anxiety attack. And I'm like, whoa there, Nelly. Like, I am a type A person. We don't have anxiety. <laughs> Wrong. And it really changed the game for me because then I needed to uh, figure out what I was going to do in order to be able to control this anxiety. And I didn't like any of the medications they put me on. And my doctor said, an offhand comment. Have you looked into cannabis? And I was like, <gasps> because at that point in time for me, she might as well have said, you know, have you looked into crack rock? Crack rock might work because I didn't have that background. So what it did was it forced me to do my homework. It forced me to A, you know, look into the plant, figure out if this was something that could work. And it did work for me. I think what's, what was most important was it made me do 
my research on why did I feel so negatively about it? Why was this something that gave me so much apprehension? And I went all the way down the rabbit hole, you know, to Harry Anslinger and... Reefer Madness. Exactly. The man literally said, you know, uh, Reefer makes makes darkies think they're as good as white men. Like, and, you know, the war on drugs. And, you know, I grew up in Detroit in the 80s. I lived through that. And so that fear was real. And what I realized was it made me more aware of the cannabis industry, that what was the opportunities there. And at that time, I had a small child, I had a pet, and I really wanted somewhere where I could keep my cannabis and feel like I could destigmatize. And so I built Apothecary, well, you know, and the, the best way to describe that company is people keep wine in a wine fridge, liquor in a bar, cigars and humidors, but they keep their high-end cannabis in a shoebox under their beds. And I wanted to fix that and to take that stigma away and let people be able to consume cannabis in a way that was the most mindful. But as, you know, and I, that company still exists, we, you know, 2020 was one of our best year, was our best year ever, ever. And so I'm excited about Apothecary still. But what I learned from my personal experience is that there's a lot of women of color just like me who don't have that cannabis experience, who we're not seeing the cannabis industry market towards us. And I think that we need cannabis as much as anybody. The research says that women of color could be most benefited by the use of CBD because women are more anxious than men and Black women have the most anxiety of all demographics. So why aren't we talking about plant medicine in communities of color? It's because we're not seeing those dispensaries come up. And when we do see dispensaries, they're generally not legal dispensaries and they're not offering that type of education that is necessary. And so as I you know, came in through this industry, I really felt like this was a demographic that was being ignored. I mean, 72% of women in Los Angeles self-identify as women of color, and yet there's no dispensary that's talking to this demographic. So that was the impetus for me to really start building something for them. Right. But what you ended up building is a certainly a long far cry from just a, you know, not just a, but a stash box. Like this is a big idea. And tell me about the genesis of the idea for Josephine and Billy's. So Josephine and Billy's, I started doing research as I was looking into what the history of women of color were in the cannabis space. And I started looking into Josephine Baker and Billy Holiday because there are two women who careers were were really damaged by their cannabis consumption. And yet they used their art to fight against injustice. They rejected the mainstream and they wrote their own rules. And it just really spoke to me in regards to what we were trying to do here. And the story of tea pads. People have been calling our, our space a uh, speakeasy, but it's actually a teapad. People of color weren't allowed in speakeasies in the 20s and 30s. So they had their own spaces that were called teapads, and it was places where they could consume alcohol, consume cannabis, connect, talk about, you know, there, there was lots of visionaries there. Talk, talk about what's next, talk about the revolution, and really build community. And that's what my goal was when the, the impetus, you know, for uh, Josephine and Billy's uh, started. And so um, as we continued to work on this, me and my COO, Ebony Anderson, really put the focus on how do we build a community for women of color 
who have not had the opportunity to learn about cannabis or might have that apprehension. And so we really sat down and started working backwards. Let's talk to as many women of color as we can. Let's see what are the things that make them uncomfortable when they walk into a dispensary. And let's see how we can fix that and really bring plant medicine into into this community. What did you find out when you did your research about feeling uncomfortable? Like, is it just because it didn't speak to them? Like you said, I was, that's amazing number. 73% of women in Los Angeles identify themselves as a woman of color. That, that surprised me, but probably shouldn't. I live here in Los Angeles and there's a lot of people of color here, but tell me like what you learned when you researched it. Great question. So we learned a lot of things. We learned that there's still a lot of PTSD within communities of color when it comes to cannabis. When you've seen your community be destroyed by the war on drugs, when you've seen your neighbors go to jail, when you've seen family members go to jail, when they come out, they can't use student loans, they can't live in public housing. Communities were decimated and that really puts a block in between those people and even considering cannabis usage. They say that when they go into dispensaries, they feel uncomfortable. They, you know, that the people there aren't able to answer their questions and they really, you know, sometimes they feel unsafe and they just want to get in and get out. They say that, you know, the only thing that they know about cannabis is sativa and indica. Well, what we know working in this space is that that's not the best way to determine, you know, how this plant is going to affect you. And they want to see clearer lines to their health goals. Women are, you know, do 80% of household purchase decisions. And these things do matter. You know, how is it going to affect me? How is it going to make me feel? How is it going to make my life better? And those aren't questions that are being answered in your typical dispensary setting. So how do we build a world where they feel comfortable there asking these questions and we can give them this information without them feeling pressured by us. And so some of the things that we did is, you know, we're working with SC Labs to use their phenotyping system that allows us to know a lot more about the products that we put on our wall, their terpene profiles and how that plant is going to affect them. And so for us, we're organizing the space by effects and not by plant. So it won't be, you know, flower over here and extracts over here. It's anxiety over here, insomnia over here, relaxation over here. So it allows you to see across the board, what are the the products on here that have pinene? And we know that pinene does X, Y, Z. And you can find that in this edible or this vape pen or this flower or this P-roll, et cetera. And also that they don't have an opportunity to build community with other people who are using cannabis or to be able to have those conversations because there's still a stigma there. So, you know, one of the other things that is huge for us is being able to do educational workshops, educational information. So having a place where you don't feel like you have to get in and get out and, and run down the street. We'll have uh, classes on, you know, yoga and meditation and mom's groups and seniors groups where people can come together and talk about their cannabis consumption and talk about what's working for them and what's not. Women tend to, you know, want to be a part of, of that sort of community and, and be and have that information and insight. And unfortunately, we haven't seen that yet in this space. And so that's what we want to build. So the concept is retail and product, right? So there'll be a there'll be a Josephine and Billy's cannabis line as well. Let's talk first about just the experience of walking into Josephine and Billy's once it's realized. So is it primarily a store, like a shop, a cannabis shop? I don't want to say the word dispensary because that sounds so clinical, but a retail store, or is it primarily like a like a club with live music and lounge seating and stuff? 
It's a little bit of both. So you walk into a, a, a store that looks like it's a paraphernalia shop. So you've got your pipes and your apothecary cases and, um, you know, T-shirts and et cetera. And the password Billy sent, uh, sent me is the key for our cashier there to check your ID and open the hidden door in the wall to send you back into <laughs> send you back into the T-pad space. And that, you know, that space has is where you're going to find all that that cannabis, all the products, um, you, you know, the walls will have different sections, like I mentioned, you know, so you can go over to the, the women's health section or the sexual health section and look and see what we have. There'll be chairs around so you can sit down. There'll be um, books around so you can read. There'll be a back room where there'll be, you have the ability to meet one-on-one with one of our educators and, and talk to them about what the, you know, whatever your issue is. But it's also, you know, we're embracing this theme, the T-pad. So our goal is when people come in that, you know, you're already your family. This is this the club and you're already in it. And we want to make people feel comfortable having those conversations about what's really wrong, because I think that that also becomes a disconnect. If the educator or a bud tender who is there doesn't have that information and insight, a 55-year-old woman might not want to sit around and have a conversation with that person about the menopause they're going through it and how to solve it. So it's it's building that comfort level up so they feel comfortable being in there, in the space, and being able to receive this information. Yeah. Can you also do a account basically account and dizzies so i can go because this sounds really fun <laughs> I mean, account and dizzies or something <laughs> i'm like we're definitely you know uh we're, we're focused on women of color but uh allies are always welcome you know we we everyone is welcome to come in and get that information and insight and we're super excited to i think that that is something that at the end of the day, these insights are going to be interesting for everybody to be able to see and and to uh, get some more insight on the plant. How true to the jazz age are you going to stay? Are you going to actually be playing like music from that era, swing music, and or what? What or is it going to be more a little modern, more modern? We, I mean, we're 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 living in the um, the space between um, the theme and modern, so we definitely will have some jazz things playing, but I think that we'll also have some modern things as well. The you know we want to be able to bring that spirit into this space without necessarily only being on theme. So tell me a little bit about the whole Jay-Z connection. That must have been pretty exciting when you found out that they were going to invest in you guys. How did you bring the idea to him and his group? I met Eli, who is working for Subversive and is heading up that um, initiative. And we had talks for a long time about it. It was me continually going back and saying, hey, this is what we're doing. Hey, this is what we're doing. Oh, look at us. <laughs> like, I wouldn't say harassment. I'd say dedicated <laughs> to, to having the conversation. And he was great. I think that they, they really understood the fact that, uh, that we were hitting on a demographic that had not been talked to within this space. And I think that that spoke to them and also the connection to the real purpose of social equity, you know, not only being able to that communities of color have been disproportionately disenfranchised by the war on drugs for years and in legalization. Not only have we not been taken apart on the entrepreneurial side, but we've kind of been ignored by the industry at large. And I think that that really spoke to them. So it was definitely a lot of pitches, a lot of conversations going forward about, you know, what is the path forward? Where are we going to use our funds, et cetera, et cetera. We went through a lot of due diligence. And I am the first to tell you that the pitch meeting where, you know, all the 
president of all the organizations that take that are part of TPCO, I was maybe having a mini heart attack. Was Jay-Z there himself? He was not, um, but Desiree Perez was, who is, you know, the CEO of Rock Nation. I'm like, holy hell, <laughs> this is big. I'm like, this is really happening. And, you know, we found out shortly thereafter that, you know, that they were interested and we started going through that due diligence process. And it's just been it, in my wildest dreams. I don't know that I saw this happening. So this it's super exciting, not just because we have this great lead investor that, you know, also excites other investors, but because, you know, it allows really does make the difference for us. It allowed us to, you know, start our build out. It, this is what makes social equity work is these sorts of investments and these sorts of businesses and allowing us to really um, have the capital to compete in a market that is so capital heavy. I mean, I also am a part of Supernova Women. We're a 501c3 that seeks to encourage women of color to become stakeholders in the cannabis space. And we do a lot of speaking about what the barriers to entry are for uh, people of color and for women of color coming into the space. And finances is, is a number one. I mean, as an entrepreneur in cannabis, I can't walk down to the Bank of America and get a loan or go to the SBA and get a loan. We're in a position where we need to be able to raise from angel investors and VCs. And when we're talking about angel investors, a lot of people of color don't even have those people in their circles. I mean, when we're talking about, you know, uh, the black community and you've got most families have $11,000 worth of uh, family wealth, there's just not that sort of connection. And then when we're talking about people outside of our community, those cold intros are very difficult. And angel investors tend to invest in people that remind them of themselves. And I, as a single black mother, don't tend to elicit those feelings from, you know, a 60-year-old white man who's your typical angel investor. And we're talking about VCs. VCs are giving 2% of their money to women CEOs. And when we're talking about women of color CEOs, that number drops down to 0.0006%. So those numbers are, you know, uh, and contrast that against Deck the is stack against you. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. And especially when we're talking about a program like social equity in Los Angeles, where I applied in September of 2019 and we had to have property. So we've been paying a lease since then up to this day. And yet we are not selling cannabis. Yeah. The money to do that. I mean, it, it's a certain person that can even do that. So right now, do you have, are you renting a space? Oh yeah, we have had, we've been renting a space we're on MLK at the corner of MLK and Dinker. So that is about uh, less than a mile from USC and the new soccer stadium and less than a mile from Lamert Park. There's just kind of the center of black culture in Los Angeles. We're in, you know, beautiful South Los Angeles. I think it's the perfect location for the demographic that we're talking to. Yeah, it definitely feels like it. Was that an area that was where the tea pads were back in the day? I don't know if there were tea pads in LA back in the 20s and the 30s. I have not found a tea pad in LA back in the, the, the 20s. It was definitely... Um, a lot of them in New York, but it's a community that that is close to my heart. And, you know, we're right down the street from my church, uh, right down the street from my old neighborhood. So, yeah, that was definitely where I wanted to be. When do we estimate it will open? We are shooting for September. We're shooting for this September. So it is coming down like a freight train fast on us, which is exciting and, and crazy scary. Obviously, you know, we still got things to do. We've got to pass inspections. We need the DCR to um, do some processing. So we are pushing for us to be able to make that date. Did you have to delay it because of COVID or has the timing just worked out? I mean, COVID did not help. 
I don't know if you're familiar with what happened with the Los Angeles Social Equity Program, but we have experienced a lot of delays. There were pauses, there was an internal audit, nothing was happening. And we're still, you know, in the middle of some of those delays. Modifications haven't been processed yet uh, of the 200 licensed people who are going through the licensing process. As I've last heard it, only three people have received licenses. So it has been a slow going process for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about September. That's just around the corner. We're recording this in June. So you have a background in television. So you obviously have a lot of experience pitching, I would imagine, pitching shows back in the day. And you obviously were successful in pitching this idea to all these very important people, influential people. What advice do you give to our listeners about the secret of a successful pitch? I mean, you're obviously, we can sort of feel it here in this interview. You're a very enthusiastic person, very like have a lot of great energy. What do you think it was that kind of sold them ultimately? I mean, it's a great idea, but a great idea is only can only get you so far, right? I mean, you, you have to. That's true. Interesting that you say that because I did definitely did a lot of pitching and selling of network, you know, to networks in that world. But pitching to investors is so different. I mean, when I, when I first started, I tell people um, all the time that the first investor I talked to asked me to send them uh, my executive profile. And I didn't necessarily know what that was. So I sent them a bio with my picture on it because I thought that that's what they were asking for. And now it makes me want to die of embarrassment. <laughs> but it, it definitely. Definitely. I, I went through a business accelerator, Canopy Business Accelerator, that really helped me understand what people were looking for in a pitch. And so I tell people, if you, you know, to give a good pitch, you need a couple of things. It's knowing your numbers, knowing your numbers, knowing where you're going with, with the project, knowing the problem that you're going to solve and knowing that back and forth. And then at the end of the day, it is a lot about the entrepreneur. I've been told a lot of times, there's a million good ideas, but you have to be able to believe that the person who is pitching you that idea has the ability to bring that concept to life. And I think that one of the things that really helps me is I am super invested in this. And both of the businesses that I am CEO for, they're things that I made because I wanted them. I wanted an apothecary case to put my stuff in. Me and um, my CEO, uh, Ebony, we wanted this world. We wanted to be able to go to a Josephine and Billy's and connect with other you know, women who are interested in cannabis and, and talk and learn and build that community. And so I think that when I talk about it, that transfers over to the person. And I think that's especially important because when we're talking about the space and the demographic that I'm talking to, because I'm pitching to a lot of older white men who aren't in that world. But I think that when I tell them about how much it means to me and how much of a difference it, it will make, they can understand that community even without being a part of it. Well, you sold me. Whitney, thank you so much for joining us. So if people want to find out more about Josephine and Billy's, what should they do? Please check out our website, www.josephineandbillies.com. Follow us on Instagram at Josephine and Billy's or on Twitter at Billy Sent Me. And please come out to our grand opening in September. Like I said, we're, you know, we focus on women of color, but we serve absolutely everybody. And we would love to have people come out um, and support us and the, you know, other diverse businesses that we'll be selling within the store. Well, I know I'm not necessarily the target demographic, but I will definitely be online. <laughs> to check it out. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and best of luck with the, with the future venture. Thank you for the opportunity, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur 
We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now. That's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.